As we continue the introduction to this series, Pastor David will be giving us a glimpse of some of the things we'll be looking at, as well as more encouragement to know the truth. Here's Pastor David. Now, for this introduction message, I'm just really wanting to focus on a couple things. We're not going to be here too long. A couple of things. One is what we've been talking about, why it's important to defend the faith, why it's, impossible, why it's so important for you to know the doctrine. And I'm going to tell you a few of the things that we're going to be studying, just give you a quick overview. And so let me tell you just a few of the things that we're going to be studying. The first one in the list of false philosophies is called general apathy. It's just what I'm calling it, general apathy towards faith. And, and, and what I mean by that is that there are a lot of people right now who are rejecting the idea of faith altogether. It's not an atheism. It's more like a rejection of what they would call, I don't know, organized religion to which they should understand it's not that organized. But they sort of reject that, right? Um, it's a fast-growing group in our culture that sociologists get all worked up about. They're called the nuns, not N-U-N like the Catholics. Nuns like N-O-N-E-S. They have none. They have no particular religious belief. It'd be one thing if they were atheists, but often they're not. And so that skeptic stuff isn't really for them. They're far more apathetic than atheists, Okay. Um, nuns fall into a number of the categories that we'll sort of discuss as we discuss other things, but one of the things they fall into is that I just believe they're apathetic. They don't care. They don't see the big questions about God, about heaven, about hell, about sin, about redemption, about Jesus Christ. They just don't see them as important. They're just not, they just don't care. It's not like, oh, I reject all that. They might say, yeah, Jesus is real, or he rose from the dead, or whatever, and they don't care. They're apathetic. And they've become to believe that none of it really matters enough to get worked up about. That's a concern. Apathy is a grave mistake and apparently a very contagious one. Because it seems like I see it more and more and more where you might go to your friend and say, hey, would you like to come to church? And they'd be like, eh, not as much. No, church is the worst and church people are bad people or whatever. Just, nah, who cares? You believe what you want to believe, who cares, Right? We're going to study something, this is really interesting stuff, that some sociologists called Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton call moralistic therapeutic deism. Write that one down. This is the philosophy that seems to describe, it sounds really fancy, but it's really simple. It's a philosophy that seems to describe many Christians and other people, and, and basically believes this. This is what the authors describe the basic beliefs of moralistic therapeutic deism as. Now, God exists who created the world and orders it and kind of watches over it from like heaven watching down, right? This is what God wants. He wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible, and they believe most other religions also teach all the same things. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to solve a problem. I think all of us can fall into that sometimes. You know, sometimes you, you lost your keys. And about 30 minutes later, you're like, maybe I should pray about this. <laughs> right? They also believe that good people go to heaven when they die. Moralistic therapeutic deeds, and we'll get more into it, but it's a philosophy that seems prevalent in our culture. And it is just riddled with problems that are against the Bible and against the doctrine that Jesus Christ taught us. We're also going to 
this is going to be more complicated and may take more than one message. We're going to tackle the issue of progressive Christianity. Now, when I say progressive Christianity, this, this term has nothing to do with progressive politics or political progressivism or whatever. That's not what this is about. This is a reference to kind of a broad group. It's kind of a spectrum of people. They have some different beliefs, but they tend to fall in a spectrum of certain things, right? And they call themselves Christians, but they believe a bunch of stuff that's just contrary to the Bible. This is becoming very popular, especially among kind of younger, you know, I would say from my age, you know, 20 years on either side of my age is probably where this is coming. People who are older are too smart for this kind of nonsense, but, but the younger folks are starting to believe in this. It's a false gospel, which means that instead of good news, it's bad news. It's bad news. And so we're going to talk about that. And progressive Christianity is related to another cultural kind of uh, influence that's going around called deconstructionism. Now, I don't want to go deep into this. Being a philosophy major, I could go back to Derrida and deconstruction and all this stuff that it doesn't matter. Let me explain to you what does matter. Some people... And quite a few famous people who are Christians or were kind of Christians, many of whom were in the church their whole lives and seem to have biblical beliefs prior to this, have started to deconstruct their faith. They've deconstructed, so they start picking it apart. They lay it out and they start saying, well, I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if I believe this. Many of these have gone into progressive Christianity, which is like Christianity light. It's kind of like this uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, but there's so many other problems with it. Some of them have gone into agnosticism or just atheism. So we're going to talk about that because deconstruction is a path to either progressive Christianity or agnosticism or atheism or some other thing, and, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Lord willing, we will also study legalistic Christianity, and that's the only term I could come up with it because it kind of captures a lot of different subcultures within Christianity. It's more a a way you approach it than it is a particular like denomination or something. But this form of Christianity is on the other side of progressive Christianity. Think of progressive Christianity as kind of the Sadducees, the rich, the elite. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't really believe in miracles. They don't really believe in any of that kind of stuff. They're kind of rich and powerful. Uh, Not not maybe really liked by the common people, but they're, they're really popular among the elite, okay? Progressive Christianity. Then the other side, you have Pharisaism, legalistic Christianity, where the rules are what matters. Who you are, what you do, and so on. It's more popular, more, more of a popular movement than the other one is, because the other one's more elite, but it is just as dangerous. And it destroys the truth of the gospel because it really, it really comes down to it's what you do, not what's been done for you. It's not the grace of Jesus Christ, but it's that plus fill in the blank. And so we're going to hopefully be able to talk about that and how legalistic Christianity misses the mercy and the grace of God. If we have time and the Holy Spirit leads, we will also study the prosperity gospel, which is lots of fun. Um, Another just bad false gospel. That's bad news. Ultimately, if we get to it, you'll get to see some of that. If you don't know what that is, um, just think the guys that say, you know, send me 10 bucks and I'll send you a prayer cloth that will make you rich, that type of thing. <laughs> I'd be selling it for a lot more than 10 bucks if I had, you know, if I really believed it was doing that. Uh, so as you probably observed as I went through this list, many of these that we're going to talk about are actually Christians 
who are proclaiming and putting these things out here, people who would name themselves Christians. We do not only defend the faith and the gospel and the doctrine and the teaching from without against the unbeliever, against another religion, against whatever. We also often defend it from within. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are people who come inside the church and twist the scriptures. In a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit from Paul to Timothy, Paul writes this. This is, this is important to this series. This is 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when, listen, they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. That's part of the deal here. If you're going to do it right, you're going to know the doctrine, you're going to teach the doctrine, you're going to endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. If you are not yet convinced how important it is that you know the scriptures, that you know the doctrine, that you know the teaching, I want to encourage and exhort you and me in this. All Christ followers, all Christ followers need to get absolutely serious about becoming fully devoted disciples of Christ, meaning that you know the scripture. You go after the teaching. He becomes the center of your life. You live it out. It cannot be a Sunday faith, and that's it. We all need to be able to articulate our faith. When someone asks us what we believe, we should be able to explain it to them clearly and fully. Here's the thing. These sociologists that I talked about earlier with the moralistic therapeutic deism thing, they interviewed a lot of people. It was teenagers. This was back in uh, 2000, 2005. This huge, huge survey, all these teenagers. And they, would, they took 200 and something of them, and they'd go talk to them, okay? And they were of different faiths, but a lot of them were, you know, Protestant, conservative, whatever, kind of what you are. And very few of them, when asked what they believed, could articulate what they believed, would even use the name of Jesus, kind of like, yeah, God and all that stuff, or God and Jesus and that kind of stuff. It's like, well, what, but what do you believe? And they couldn't say it. We need to ask ourselves if we could articulate clearly what we believe if we were asked. Are we ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within? Because if we're not, then we're not grounded and rooted in the scriptures, in the doctrine, and the teaching. I do not want there to be one person at Acts Church, I'm talking from little to not as little, who cannot articulate their faith, who could not explain the gospel just like that to anyone, who could not explain what they believe. We're all responsible for that. We're all responsible for that. Now, I was going to bring a $100 bill in, but I can't afford that. So let's just assume that I'm holding one, okay? Here's a $100 bill. All right. Or is it? How would we know if I was holding a real $100 bill or not? How would we know if, if something was a forgery? You know it by knowing what the real one looks like, right? If you know so well what a real $100 bill looks like, you know when you see the forgery. Now, I don't know that well. I've seen very few of them in my life. <laughs> but you probably all have seen them. And if you send me one in, I'll send you a prayer cloth. It'll make you rich. No, I'm kidding. 
Let's make it two. Let's make it two. You know a forgery by knowing the truth, period. By knowing the real thing so well that you can spot the fake. How do you know false doctrine? Same way. You know false doctrine by knowing the truth. How do you build yourself up against false doctrine? Know the true doctrine. If you're not built up in it, look, you are just a target for some nonsense to come in and sweep you away. And before you know it, you're not believing the real word. You're believing some other thing. You're becoming a moralistic, therapeutic deist or a progressive Christian or believing in the prosperity, health, and wealth gospel or some other thing because you didn't know the doctrine well. You got to know the doctrine. If you don't build yourself up, you will be carried off. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Romans tells us, right? Romans 12. Now, you're not going to get the truth from the world. You're not going to get good doctrine from the world. Don't look for it there. You won't find it. You're only going to get the truth from God the Father, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures that they've given us. He's given us the Scriptures. You'll get it from knowing the Word. You'll get it from listening to the teaching here at Acts Church, Lord willing, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you might learn it here. Attend to it closely. It's important. You'll get it by study and by hard work. Nothing comes without that. Without the study and without the hard work. If you think that you're going to be grounded and rooted in the doctrine without doing any work, then you're not using the same mind that you would use towards anything. Even an unbeliever knows that marriage takes hard work. Go ask anybody, any unbeliever who's been married for more than a minute. And they're going to tell you marriage is hard work. It's hard work, right? The unbelievers know that. Now, if some husband came to me and said, look, Pastor David, I cannot understand it. I don't feel close to my wife. I don't feel like I know her well. Things aren't going well. I'm like, well, what's your relationship like? He's like, well, you know, usually I give her one or two hours on a Sunday morning. I'm going to know what the problem is. (laughs) Right? I'm going to know what the problem is. You stuck a ring on. And you give a little time, but you didn't put the work in. You want to know her? Get to work. Following Christ is greater than marriage. It's becoming a disciple of the one true God. It's learning who he is and what he has said in his word. How could we not want to work? If we're willing to work hard for marriage, shoot, we're willing to work hard to catch a fish. For any of you that have done that, that's hard. Or catch a football. Or whatever it is. Can we be willing to work hard for our king? We need to be. You cannot do that halfway. Can't do marriage halfway. Can't do anything halfway. You can't just expect that a deep, abiding, rooted, grounded, established relationship in Christ is going to come from one or two hours on a Sunday morning. It's part of it. Don't be like, well, I don't need to come to church anymore. It is important. But it's not enough. It's not enough. Following Christ is a lifelong, life-full, full-time calling. It's hard work. Oh, it's worth it. I couldn't stand here if I wasn't rooted and grounded in him because I just don't have it in me. I don't have the strength. I wouldn't be able to deal with it. I've got all kinds of issues. I've got anxiety disorders. I've got things that go on in my life. I've got troubles and whatever. And I've got to come up here and I could never do it 
if the Lord wasn't strengthening me. And that would never happen if I wasn't rooted and grounded and established in Him. And every day more so. There's a wall of books out there. Why is that there? Because study is important. The one in the middle is a big Bible. Because that's the most important one to study. And I know, like reading through the Bible in a year, and all, that is awesome. That is great. You want to get it in you. But studying the Word, studying the doctrine, having good teachers teach you the doctrine, that has to happen. Or you will be like the people who we're going to be talking about who have gone far off from the truth. We'll study the false doctrines, Lord willing. But let me just tell you, more will come. The longer the Lord tarries, the more false doctrines will come. The more golden idols will be put up that you'll be asked to bow down to. And the more chances you're going to have to have to face that fiery furnace. And if you don't know the doctrine, you won't be able to stand. And I don't want any of us to ever bow down to anyone but Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. A a good defense, in this case, is a good offense. And a good offense is knowing the doctrine. It's knowing the word. Just like Timothy was exhorted, each of us should be exhorted. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How do you rightly divide the word of truth? Practice, study, work. Go to the end times class. Get some teaching. Be here on Sunday morning. Don't miss If you do miss, get online. It's all sitting right there for you. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teachings that are available to you at any time that are solid. If you have questions, email Susan. (laughs) And you can make an appointment with me through her. I'm just saying. Start with her. Let's talk about it. Let's work it. Let's be excited about it. Let's be like David who just loved the word of God. He loved his law. I mean, you're learning the law. I mean, the law of the universe. I mean, who God is. I mean, what flows from who he is. The more you know it, the more exciting it gets. Have you ever had that time? Maybe you were in a math class. My wife teaches math. So does Julie back. The math teachers are in the back. <laughs> when you have that time, it's like, I do not get this. I do not, which is all the time for me. I do not get this. What are all these numbers? Give me words. But finally, it'd be like, see, it goes like this, ta-ta-ta. And I'd be like, oh, and you have that moment, like light goes on. Great with math. Unbelievable with scripture. It's exciting to learn the word of God because in it, you have security. In it, you have security. In it, when you do your study in the light, you can hold on to it in the dark. You can stand on it in the dark when the difficult things come. It's like Jesus talking about building your house on the rock. It's like Jesus talking about abiding in him. This is all part of that. This is all part of that. So I see it from the very beginning of the church, right? Steadfastly in the apostles doctrine, right? Breaking of bread, prayers, all of that, all of that's good. But the apostles doctrine has to come first or that other stuff doesn't have much meaning. You want to understand the depth of what it means when we take communion together, when we baptize someone, you want to understand the depth of what it means that Jesus is coming back for you of eternal life, of redemption, truly understanding what redemption is in this broken world. You want to understand that you got to know the doctrine. You got to know the doctrine. I want to go through this series 
And I want us to be ready for these ones that we can hit right now. But more importantly than that, I want you to be so trained that you could do this series for whatever the new white lies are that come up because you're so grounded in the doctrine. Let's all strive to know God more by knowing his word, his teachings, the doctrine. Well, with that as our introduction, I hope you're looking forward to diving into this series and that you've been encouraged and motivated to do the work and really know the truth, the doctrine of Jesus. As always, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Call us at 360-885-9000. Always great to have you with us, and we'll look for you right here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.